Welcome to Foolish Voices. I'm Scott Palmer, Producing Artistic Director of Company of Fools. And on this show, we talk to a wide range of theater artists, both here in Sun Valley and all across the world, about how the current global health crisis is impacting their work, about their creative lives, and about their hopes for the future of our art form. Please consider supporting Company of Fools by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at svmoa.org. In this episode, I have the great pleasure of talking with internationally renowned scenic designer, Jesse Dracozin. Jesse is the Associate Chair and Head of Design and Production at the University of Idaho Department of Theater Arts. And before moving to Idaho, Jesse was an Associate Professor and Head of Design and Production at Florida International University. He received his MFA in Scenic Design from Purdue University and a BFA in Theater Design from Vertebo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Jesse has designed sets across the country at such theaters as right here at Company of Fools, the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, Contemporary American Theater Festival, Montana Shakespeare in the Parks, the Texas Shakespeare Festival, Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, and many, many more. Jesse's work has also been exhibited at the Prague Quadrennial in the Czech Republic, that is hard to say, and he currently holds the position of Vice Commissioner of Education in the Scene Design and Technologies Commission for the USITT, the United States Institute of Theater Technology. He also serves as the National Chair of Design Technology and Management for the Kennedy Center American College Theater Festival. I am very pleased to be talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us, Jesse. How are you? I'm good. You doing well? Are you healthy? I am. I am. Yes. Uh, How have you been um, uh, keeping yourself entertained over the last eight or nine weeks of lockdown? It's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I'm continuing to teach classes uh, here at the University of Idaho. um, So that's been keeping me pretty busy. But uh, other than that, I've been actually able to get out and do some lawn work and gardening. So... Uh, the weather's been pretty nice, so it's allowing me to get outside. Well, that's nice. Uh, so you're, you, you continue to teach. Now, the, the thing that's interesting about you and about um, University of Idaho is uh, that you guys have a lot of familiarity with distance learning, right? Like, this is, yeah. not, this is not a new thing for you all. No, no. And actually, you know, uh, quite honestly, it's made this sort of quick transition to putting all of our classes online um, uh, pretty smooth for us here in our department. I know it's been sort of a struggle for a lot of theater uh, teachers and educators across the nation, but uh, with our unique distance delivered MFA for working professionals, we've already started sort of doing that to a lot of our coursework here uh, in classes. So uh, it's been a pretty easy transition. Uh, I must say, yeah. So, so tell 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 me a little bit more about this. You and I have had a number of beers over this topic, <laughs> where I'm like, how the heck can p- someone possibly do an MFA online, sort of distance learning? Tell us a little bit about that program and and how many people are involved and how that all works. Yeah. So um, our distance MFA is not like a traditional online program where you know you. Uh, get everything delivered uh, through a website and you have to go on and take tests and do that type of stuff. Uh, We actually hold our classes um, uh, simultaneously. So uh, all of our students uh, across the nation um, that are in the program actually call in or zoom in to the classes. Um, And so 
I will uh, walk into the classroom here uh, and turn on the Zoom, right? And uh, uh, there may be 10 people uh, sitting around the table uh, in our classrooms here. And then uh, numerous students uh, turn on their Zoom and Zoom in. Um, and so we're having conversations together um, uh, simultaneously, you know, in, in real time. Um, and uh, so that's, that's the unique part of the program uh, is that uh, really the, the, what used to be <laughs> the traditional way of teaching where the professor would come in with all the knowledge, right? And uh, sort of give that knowledge to uh, the students, uh, it's changed the conversation, right? So there are people in our program that have been out uh, working in the profession for 10, 15, 20 years that have a completely different experience than I do. Um, and so when we get into the classroom, uh, the conversation is completely changed. It's horizontal um, learning. Uh, we're learning from each other uh, in that respect. Um, and so that's, that's what kind of makes it unique, right? Um, and of course now <laughs> our on-campus students uh, basically had to uh, start to experience the classroom just like our distance students do. Uh, they can't be in the classroom with us. Um, so we're all <laughs> getting on Zoom uh, teleconferencing into our classes. Well, I, I mean, the, the great news for you is that this is, again, not a, not a challenging, this is not challenging technology because you guys have been doing this in your MFA program for a long time, right? So Yes, so so this is, <clears throat> it's been 12 years, uh, actually, uh, since it started. Um, and we started with uh, playwrights. Uh, in the program, and now we've expanded to just about anyone uh, in the theater uh, business. So, tell me, tell me a little bit about like who participates in these in this distance learning MFA program. Who are the who are the students for this for this degree? Yeah, so our students range. Um, we have uh, artistic directors in the program. We have, uh, like I said, playwrights um, that uh, that are working on their uh, work uh, across the nation. We have designers, technicians, production managers, stage managers. Uh, uh, we recently graduated a casting director. Um, uh, you know, uh, actors are in the program. Uh, and then a big component of our um, student body are high school teachers or uh, educators that uh, um, uh, wanna receive the MFA. Um, and so they're in our pedagogy uh, track um, and uh, studying how to be better teachers. Right. Is it working? Are they learning? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. How many absolutely. how many people are enrolled? Um, so we currently um, we just accepted a, a fairly large class. So come fall, we'll actually have over fifty students in that program. That's that's an amazing number of people in an MFA program, right? Like that that's a pretty yeah. large cohort of students. Yes, yes, it is. Um, but we feel like uh, you know. Um, it just enriches the conversations in the classroom. Um, and all of our faculty on staff here uh, are involved in the program. So they all teach uh, these type of courses. Uh, they're all mentoring these type of students. And what's great is we get to actually go out and travel um, the country and see our students uh, in situ, right? Um, and uh, see what they're doing, how they're collaborating. 
um, and the projects that they're working on. That must be pretty cool. I mean, you get to travel around and see all these amazing students from all over the country, sort of, and you and then you grade their work, right? I mean, yes. yeah. Ultimately, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with uh, you know being a, a, a sort of a mentor there um, for them to bounce off ideas, uh, talk about situations that they may be in. Um, you know, our directors uh, really working on you know. Okay, I'm in rehearsal. Uh, an actor is, is giving me a, a difficulty uh, at this point. How do I work through this? Or same with designers. Uh, I've come up with this challenge and how do I go about solving that? Um, and so working with their major professor, they get a chance to sort of work that out before they have to really go into those conversations um, at the, the place that they're working. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if I had known all of the craziness I would have faced as an artistic director, I would have asked a lot more questions during my <laughs> master's program. Right, right. Right. If I had any idea what kind of crap people were going to throw at me as an artistic director, I would have had a much longer list of potential uh, conflicts that you could have helped me help yeah. me overcome. So how how has the global pandemic and, and uh, the current health crisis impacted the department there? I mean, have, did you guys cancel shows? Did you lose time? Yeah, so uh, when this all hit, um, uh, before the university even took uh, major steps of, of saying we're gonna go completely online, uh, our department uh, really decided, we were in production at that moment um, on a production of The Moors, um, and we were just about to open the show uh, and we decided to uh, basically only do two performances of it uh, and then cancel the last, last part of the run. Um, and uh, so what that meant was we still had one more production uh, to be done, uh, which was you can't take it with you. Uh, and we decided to cancel that completely. Hmm. Uh, we had to, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, no other choice. No other choice. Um, so... Uh, Ultimately, um, we wrapped up uh, the production of the Moors, uh, struck the set, get off stage, uh, and then uh, told all of our students, hey, um, we know the university is going to come here in the next few days saying that we need to go online. So let's get ready for that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, now we're <laughs> talking about how do we plan for the, the next season, right? Will we be back in the fall? We don't know. Um, so, so yeah. what, I mean, what, what kinds of conversations are happening? You're just like everyone else in the world, right? We just don't know every theater and every performing arts venue on the planet is wondering what will happen to us. How, how are you guys approaching that, that level of uncertainty? Yeah. I mean, I think right now, um, uh, we kind of just came up with uh, a plan for our next season. If we do come back in the fall. Um, and we can be in person with our classes. Uh, we've set the season. Um, we've announced it to our only to our students, um, and we've given them uh, design um, uh, assignments, production assignments. Uh, we've assigned directors to them, um, and we'll start working on some of that over the summer. And we've told our students, you know, if if we're not back in the fall, right? And we have to continue this online experience with them. 
that we will still work through those productions, but they won't be fully realized. Mm. Uh, so they'll still get the sense of working through the design process with each other, the collaboration process, um, and uh, our actors will get a chance to, uh, to do readings of the, the show uh, via Zoom. We'll set up webinars, those type of things. Um, so we're going to continue. Um, it just may look different. Yeah. Wow. Wilds, <laughs> huh? Yes, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, not really why you got into scenic design in the first place, I am imagining, right? Like, no, not, not at all. I, so, I don't, none of us expected this. Right? No, none of us expected this. So what, what was it, Jesse, that drew you to theater and to specifically to scenic design as a, as a profession? Yes, that's a great question. Because is there a good answer, or is it just like, man, I didn't have anything else to do? Well, no, I, you know, uh, I started in high school, like maybe most of us, um, being exposed to theater. Um, but I really, actually, wanted to become an architect. Um, and growing up in Wisconsin, uh, I was really drawn to Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright's work, um, and uh, obviously that he has a school of architecture um, that's based uh, year round, half the year in Spring Green, Wisconsin, the other year, uh, half the year in Arizona. Um, and <laughs> I really wanted to uh, explore that. Um, and uh, once I realized <laughs> that uh, that school um, was more of as uh, apprenticeship um, and you had to, if to be accepted, you wanted to have chores around the house, <laughs> live off the land. Uh, it seemed almost like a commune to me, mm. which scared the hell out of me. <laughs> so uh, I came back to to my mentor in high school and said, okay, this is not right. <laughs> I don't really want to do people's <laughs> what ironing. Do I do? And <laughs> yeah. What do I do? Um, and uh, he basically said to me, you know, you really like doing this theater stuff. Why don't you mix the two? um and and go into set design um and so i was sort of exposed by that right um and uh, started looking into schools where i could study that um and that's where i ended up going to uh, viterbo uh, in lacrosse La wisconsin so but but you were never like an actor. You didn't ever want to do. You were always mostly interested in in getting splinters because you're hammering wood and putting <laughs> sets together. Is that sort of? Yeah. So you know, I uh, I tested my hand at at acting. Um, I was in a few productions, um, and uh, I also uh, you know was in the chorus of Oklahoma and danced in that show and uh, did all those things, but. Really, it was the backstage uh, stuff that really excited me. Um, my dad is very, uh, very hands-on. He, you know, he's built a couple houses and did a lot of carpentry work. Um, and so I grew up, uh, you know, learning a lot of that kind of stuff. And and uh, so I wanted to continue to explore that um, as I went into to college. And do you do you think that when you think specifically about your own approach to design? sort of what 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 is it about your style or your approach to scenic design that that has made you so successful i mean you you have designed at like every theater on the planet i mean you've been i i mean i had to like cut 
cut four and a half minutes worth of the lists of theaters that you've designed for. What what do you bring about yourself, your unique vision? Uh, what is it about your scenic design approach? Well, I think it always starts with the story, right? And uh, that's where I start. Um, and if, if I can't get to what the story is about um, and working with that with the directors and the collaborators I work with, um, then then it's it's hard to get going, right? Um, and so once I get that um, and we have a good conversation about the story uh, and the words on the page, uh, then I really start looking at how can I tear that story open um, and kind of see through it. And I think that speaks to a lot of how I design <clears throat> is that I look at architectural detail I look at um, how I can uh, sort of explode and, and uh, see the essential parts of the story uh, within that space. Because again, as a set designer, our job is to uh, work with a space to tell the story and set that space for the actors uh, to really embody uh, this, this world. Um, and so that's where I kind of, I go to, right? And I think the success that I've had is because I go into spaces and actually look at, and I know it sounds crazy, but I look at the architectural details in that space and they all have a particular energy to them. Um, and I know it sounds, it sounds crazy. It sounds sort of touchy-feely kind of thing, right? But uh, every space has an energy to it. Um, and uh, I've been able to, to work in some really unique spaces um, and make, make the story come to life in those spaces. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, the directors I work with and the uh, theaters I work with understand that and get to see that work um, uh, and appreciate that I think about that. I mean, it's interesting to me that you have, I mean, in the list of the gazillions of theaters you've designed for, you do design for a lot of Shakespearean theaters. Is there, is there, is that just because people who work in Shakespeare festivals and Shakespeare theaters need a lot of scenic designers, or do you have a particular affinity for the classics in that way? Well, I do like working on the classics. I mean, I did, haven't designed um, a lot of the Shakespeare plays, which I'd love to be able to do. Uh, what's funny is that uh, most of the Shakespeare companies I work for, I'm not actually designing Shakespeare plays um, for those companies. Uh, I mean, the last show I did at Alabama Shakespeare Festival uh, was Disney's Little Mermaid. Um, very so, Shakespearean. Very Shakespearean. Uh, but I must say, you know, it's been, uh, sadly, <laughs> maybe, uh, they're most financial uh, successful play <laughs> they've done, production they've done. Um, uh, but um, but it, maybe it's just the connections um, uh, that I have. Uh, you get around, Jesse, has to be said. <laughs> You're but, a good networker. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's just that, that, uh, that the uh, Shakespeare companies are, are looking at my work that way. Yeah. Um, so going back a little bit to this this question of sort of how you uh, you know explore the chakras and the internal energy of a space in the touchy feely way that you described, most of our listeners will be familiar with the Liberty Theater where you recently designed 
uh, an absolutely stunning set. One of my favorite sets I've ever had. Um, I loved it so much. It was absolutely gorgeous for Miss Bennett Christmas at Pemberley. What, what sort of talk us through a little bit about how you responded to the, the energy of the Liberty. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, uh, what was great, it was, I was able to, uh, come and visit, um, uh, you know, before we even started designing that show and talking about that show. Um, and so uh, I think that space is, uh, is a wonderful space to work in. Um, uh, obviously it has its challenges as we all know, but um, the energy there to me is that it, it does have an intimacy uh, to it. Um, and uh, the one thing that I really loved in the space uh, was the big ceiling medallion. Mm -hmm. um, and we had conversations about that and how we could actually mimic some of that in the design of Miss Bennett um, to create that. Um, and so uh, I really worked with um, the angles of the stage um, that were naturally there um, and kind of mimic those, those lines um, within the design so that the design of Miss Bennett felt like it fit in the space. Right. Yeah, and it did. It was beautiful. I loved yeah. it. It was real pretty. You also spent an enormous amount of time painting the floor. Yes. <laughs> you have a, do you have a you have a little bit of a thing for floor treatments, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most of my I, shows have something. <laughs> I know. This is it's hilarious as an artistic director when I work with scenic designers. They're like, "Oh, floor treatments." I'm like, "Oh my god." No one's gonna be able to see it. Why? No, no one's looking at their feet. Why are you so obsessed with the floor treatments? But you and I had a fantastic conversation just about how that particular floor treatment, and it kind of opened my eyes to being, you know, a little more patient with scenic designers who want to spend a lot of time painting floors. Um, it really helped sort of frame the space and, you know, create a, a sort of feeling and a mood to the entire piece. And uh, yeah, it just always cracks me up, you know. Scenic designers are like, we'll get to the walls, we'll get to the flats, we'll get to all that. But first, let's talk about the floor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some spaces, obviously, the floor is emphasized more. Um, but I also think that it's important for uh, designers to think about uh, the actors in the space, mm -hmm. right? Because we, we're not only setting up this world to tell to our audience, right? But if the actor, doesn't feel comfortable and feel like their character fits this world, uh, then we're not working together, right? Um, and there are a lot of uh, designers that I talk to <laughs> that, uh, that have the similar feeling that, uh, again, uh, one of the best compliments we can ever get as a set designer is for an actor to come up and say, I feel at home, right? My character came to life because of what you did. Right. Um, and, and so the floor is all part of that, right? Um, and in this case, uh, you know, I think that uh, it took a while for us to paint <laughs> Miss Bennett's floor. Um, but uh, overall, I think it worked out really nice and, and it just helped tell that story for mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, so as, as you prepare for more online classes and as you prepare for the theater de department of theater arts uh, to open and as you think a little bit about your own design future with you know theater companies across the country what what are the things that are kind of keeping you awake at night 
Um, you know, right now, uh, I'm continuing to work on uh, two shows for the Contemporary American Theater Festival. Um, and what's been great is that they've kept their design teams together. Uh, even though the season's been canceled, um, it's really just been postponed to the following summer. Um, so we're continuing the design process uh, and conversations. Um, and so I'm working on two shows in rep, um, two world premieres. Um, and so a lot of that is in my mind at the moment, of <laughs> those two worlds. Um, and so, uh, you know, what's great about that is that it's continuing my creative uh, energies um, so that uh, there's something to look forward to, right, in this craziness that's happening. Um, and uh, uh, it keeps me going. Um, and uh, that's kind of what's in my mind at the moment, right? What what are you thinking? I mean, we've been hearing, and I'm sure you've been following this across the country too, you know, that the big major Lord houses and the big international destination theaters, um, you know, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival recently announced that they are going to be shut through the, their season, 80% uh, of their staff or some, some close approximation of that. Um, you know, lots and lots of production staff, designers, stage managers, carpenters, costume shop managers, those are the folks that are getting laid off and furloughed uh, first. And, you know, I, I worry not only just about our ability to produce theater, but, but you know, I worry that, that so much of the public, they don't really see the work that you do, right? They, they see the results of what you do, but they don't necessarily understand or comprehend the essential and crucial role that production artists play in the creation of theater. Um, are you concerned about the future of, of production artists as we sort of explore how to do theater smaller, uh, less, less dangerous, cheaper, that kind of thing? Are those, are those problems that, that you see we're gonna have to be addressing? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what's hard right now is everyone's trying to search out uh, ways to take things uh, online, right? Virtual um, uh, readings and uh, productions and that sort of thing. Um, and what what happens to that is we start to lose uh, the ability to have um, a true design process, or uh, you know, the the prop artisans that uh, aren't necessarily going to be uh, making anything for a virtual world. Um, and uh, you're right. There are a lot of <laughs> worries out there of uh, these type of artists uh, being furloughed and and uh, or cut from um, uh, organizations um, because the work is just not going to be there. Um, and uh, I think that I have a conversation with my students all the time about how to think about alternative avenues. Um, we all know how to tell a story as a theater artist. Um, and uh, I think that once we come out of this pandemic, there's gonna be a craving for stories once again. Um, and uh, if we don't narrow ourselves to think I can only be a set designer or I can only be a prop artisan, uh, 
but I can do other things, right? There are other avenues that you can go down um, that. Oh, okay, little buddy. <laughs> you have a friend in the background. Yes, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. Uh, it's just good that that my dog couldn't hear your dog barking. It would, just yeah, been, it would have just been us listening to dogs bark for another 20 minutes. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so, you know, I think that there are so many different things that we can do as theater artists um, that we're going to have to continue to explore, right? Um, and uh, uh, so those artists that may be laid off somewhere uh, are going to have to start thinking about, okay, what's the other thing I can do, right? Um, and uh, so uh, the more we uh, support each other um, during this time, uh, the more uh, we look out for each other, um, the better off uh, this industry is going to be. Mm -hmm. What can what can we as as artists and particularly production artists what can we be doing now to prepare for the eventual reopening? I mean, we're you know we are at the liberty, and I know this is true of theaters all over the country. Um, how do you handle lobby sizes that are small if people need to have social distancing? What do we do if we have to have six to eight feet between each seat? Um, what you know? What if we end up having to have smaller cast shows because we're worried about social distancing? Or for most of us, it's a it's a budgetary problem. What what can folks kind of what should they be thinking about in terms of design uh, to answer some of those challenges? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, again, um, it comes down to uh, just being aware of. Uh, the company that you're working with, right? Um, and talking through uh, best practices of what, what are other people doing? Um, and, you know, I think uh, I listened to your conversation with John Acavelli mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the, the theater hygiene uh, thing is going to be huge. Um, and making sure that our artists um, uh, are in a space, right? Uh, that uh, is clean, <laughs> um, that uh, is uh, organized, right? So it's going to take a little bit of time for us to, to rethink about how we do some of those things. Um, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know how to solve uh, lobby sizes and that sort of thing. Um, it's a little scary to me that uh, we may have to think about only selling, you know, 25% of the house, mm -hmm. uh, just so an audience can sit <laughs> six feet apart or further. Um, uh, because again, live theater is about having the audience there. Um, and uh, it's, not, it's not a complete experience if we don't have an audience. And I know a lot of theaters are talking about, like you said, uh, you know, just having the actors on stage and uh, no audience in the in the theater and, and maybe live streaming it. And but to me, that's not the same. Right. Um, so uh, we're going to have to figure out how to do things like that. Um, you know, maybe theater companies need to think about how to find alternative, you know, venues where, um, you know, social distancing is a little bit easier. 
um, finding outdoor spaces, right? And, and putting all their efforts towards something like that, or I don't know, it's gonna be different, <laughs> certainly. And it's gonna be on everyone's mind, right? Um, but I don't know if we're truly gonna get there until we have a vaccination that, that people start to feel like uh, it's safer to be out, right? Yeah, I mean, the I don't know if you saw the the article in American Theater Magazine late last week about the national research on whether or not people are even going to come back to theaters, right? Like, um, you know, 68% of respondents said they would consider returning to theater once a vaccine was available. 68%, right? Like that, that's, you know, that's 30% fewer people who are intending to come to theater even once a vaccine is available. And people are saying, you know, six to eight months after a vaccine, right? So all of those kinds of things. I mean, I think I, I agree with you for the Liberty, we go from 250 seats down to 44. That's how many people we can fit in the theater. And that is all with, that is putting people in every single corner of every single seat in the entire theater. Um, you know, that that becomes a real challenge, not, not just in terms of finances, which of course that's a huge part of it, but it also speaks very directly to the, the overall experience of being in a theater, watching a show with your community, sitting near people, right? Like when, when you're socially distanced, it, how's that going to impact the actors? How is, how will that, how will that energy, that loss of energy or that loss of connection impact performances? Will, will people come once sort of like they're doing on zoom performances, right? They'll sort of go, yeah, I'll try it once. Um, But maybe then not come back because it just doesn't feel like the kind of thing they want from a theater experience. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's going to be completely different if we have to go that route, you know, and, um, you know, I think there's got to be some sort of contingency plan <laughs> in place at theaters to think about how can we continue programming, right, that still excites the community, right, but wait to do the bigger uh, productions, right, until uh, people feel more comfortable. Um, and I, like I said, it's not going to happen until there's a vaccine. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Um, and, uh, even then it's going to be, it's going to take some time, I think for audiences to come back, but I do think that there's, there's still, uh, you know, going to be a need for, um, human interaction, right. And, and live theater is going to play a big role in that. Um, once we, we all feel, comfortable to be back with each other Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but in the meantime like I said we have to we have to find ways to support each other um, and uh, uh, you know figure out how to do more things like you're doing here right these podcasts um, and reaching out to people and uh, telling people that you know uh, it's going to come back you know theater's been around for a long time uh, this isn't going to do it. <laughs> right. This is not our final stand. Nope, not at all. <laughs> well, that's good news. That makes me happy to hear. Um, well, I, I I always feel better after talking to you because I think you're a real smart problem solver, Jesse. <laughs> you know, 
I, I don't think I've ever heard you say, no, that's not possible. You've just always said, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure out a way to get around it. So that makes me really happy. Um, my name is Scott Palmer. I'm producing artistic director of Company of Fools, and you've been listening to Foolish Voices. If you have enjoyed my conversation with the living legend, Jesse Dracozin uh, of the University of Idaho Department of Theater Arts in Moscow, Idaho. Please consider supporting Company of Fools and Foolish Voices by making a donation in any amount via our podcast platform or online at our parent organization, that is the Sun Valley Museum of Art, at their website, which is svmoa.org. And Jesse, I'm going to put some pictures of uh, of your design for Miss Bennett on the description of this podcast, as well as a link to your website so people can check out all the other cool stuff you do. Um, Will you please make sure that you uh, take care of yourself and of the students, both uh, in Idaho and all across the country? Definitely, definitely. You too. I'm I'm doing okay. All right. I'm drinking a lot of wine, but- Nothing wrong with that. I was gonna say, and nothing that unusual, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for joining us and and take care. We'll talk to you again soon. All right, take care. Bye-bye.